We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, we're rolling. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's Talking Buffalo podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much for locking in. Um. So it's Tuesday. I'm excited about this episode. Quite frankly, it's been quite a while since I've had a new guest on, somebody that I've not had on this show before. And I got to tell you, folks, many of you who are listening or watching us today, you may not know much, if anything at all, about my guest and their podcast that he co-hosts, but you're going to soon because I am a big, big fan um, of this guy and of his podcast. I'm talking about PK. From the Buffalo Sports Collective. By the way, we share the the same first name. Do you like going by, generally speaking, PK or or people call you Patrick? What's going on, by the way? How you doing? Good to have you on the show, man. Yeah, Pat. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I've been listening to you for a while, so I'm a big fan of coming on here. But yeah, my dad's Pat. Uh, my best friend growing up through high school, or for the longest time since we were three years old, his name is Pat. Mm-hmm. So I think around third grade, we started going by our initials. And for some reason, when he went to his high school and I went to mine, my initials and PK just stuck. So I don't know anybody besides my wife that still calls me Pat or Patrick, besides, I guess, my family. But it kind of just stuck. And that's just what I go by now. (laughs) Well, I'm definitely going to call you PK, man. It's got a a nice ring to it. Um, We're going to talk. And again, for a lot of people listening or watching this particular show, this may be the first that they've heard from you. Uh, let me say this too, before we get going anything, and we're going to spend some time today. We're going to talk some bills. We're going to talk some sabers, and we're definitely going to talk a little bit of Buffalo bandits, which is one of your biggest areas of expertise that you guys do. And when I say you guys, we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Um, on the show, I was telling you, and by the way, for people who are watching and listening to, to the show today, I think we, what do we spend about maybe 90 seconds or so chit-chatting before we hit this record button here yeah about maybe, yeah. maybe about that those are the first 90 seconds that you and i have ever interacted <laughs> in our lives outside of twitter because we've been yeah. you know talking through dms and stuff but that's the first time that we've actually had a conversation so a lot of what you may see and hear and learn today from pk i am quite literally <laughs> learning myself because i know very little bit about you i'm gonna admit that but I, as i was telling you before we uh started taping maybe a couple months or so ago I don't know. I was just in a mood and I have a lot of guests on and I follow, you know, like the cover one guys and women and, and Buffalo rumblings and a couple others. And I was just in the mood for, for something different. And I can't remember if I did it on my own or quite frankly, I think I might've put some, a tweet out that day asking for different shows. I was, I was in a mood. I was like, I want to find out about other people that maybe other people, you know, maybe the, the masses of, of Buffalo sports fans maybe don't necessarily know about. And somebody definitely put me on to Buffalo Sports Collective. And I listened to it. And PK co-hosts this show um, with, I'm assuming, a good friend of yours, Phil. You guys have great chemistry. We'll talk about that as well in just a minute. But um, yeah, man, I was listening. And I was like, really impressed. You guys sound really good. Sounds very professional. Um. You guys have a nice back and forth with each other. Certainly know what you're talking about. 
and you cover the Bills and the Sabres, which is, you know, that's really cool. But quite frankly, that's something that, and, and you know this too, you know, it's not really unique. There's tons of Bills podcasts out there, tons of Sabres podcasts out there. What really stuck with me when it comes to your show, and if you're watching this on YouTube side, I got the logo up, is these guys cover uh, the Bandits, the Bisons, and also the Buttes extensively. And I want to use that word extensively too, because, you know, I pass, maybe in passing mention, I might bring up the Bisons once in a while or the Bandits. We're not covering them. I'm just being honest with everybody. You guys dig in, especially the Bandits, man. And you guys cover them really uh, extensively. I guess let's start by talking about the concept of your podcast. Like when did it launch? When did it start? Why did it start? Um, talk about your relationship with your co-host, Phil, and just how your podcast, Buffalo Sports Collective, uh, came together. Well, I'm glad we have you fooled because we don't know what we're talking about. But no, yes, uh, you do, man. <laughs> but really, our first episode ever started, I think we aired our first official one, April 26th of 2021. I know we had like we did the State of the Butte or Bandits, State of the, all the other teams, and we also had our trailer. But the first official episode came out April 26, 2021. But what really got this going was my co-host, Phil. And we've known each other, got uh, close to 10 years now, I think. Okay. We didn't go to high school together. We met each other afterwards through a mutual friend, actually my other friend, Pat, that I told you about. But I think he's more of the brains of the operation, the idea guy behind all this. And he came up with this idea during the pandemic when I think a lot of other people are trying to find safer things to do during the lockdown. And honestly, I think that's where a lot of podcasts were born. Honestly, mm -hmm. his idea actually had nothing to do with sports. And the idea was about history. And I know nearly nothing about history, but it was, it was something kind of different. And it, it, that's kind of how we started. So him, myself, and our friend Pat, who again, another Pat, but uh, he does all the behind the scenes stuff for the BSC, like the YouTube, getting all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. the, the artwork and stuff. He does all a lot that, of work, a lot of work. So hats off to him because I don't know what I'm doing there. But <laughs> it, it was a show called Hypothetical History, and we actually had 40 episodes drop and we did all that stuff. We actually want to start it back up. But then this BSC started and it kind of took off. So we've been doing it. Nothing about that, or all about that. But the first half of the, the show was about talking about an event from history. And then the second half was asking each other hypothetical questions on if this happened, what would be the result of it or something oh, wow. like that. But I think we all knew that the BSC was kind of where we wanted to go because this was our interest in talking about sports and Buffalo sports in particular. Like you said, we love the Bills, love the Sabres. I mean, I like to tell the story that I was that little kid in my parents' basement dressing up in my entire goalie year, watching the Sabres <laughs> games on TV, pretending like I'm Dominic Ashick. I was that dedicated of a fan. But oh. I think the driving force was, like you were talking about, the Buffalo Bandits and the lack of coverage they get. So we figured we already talk a lot about it. We already talk about these teams nonstop. I mean, if you look at our messages, it's just sports-related, and then maybe once in a while it's about a food topic or something like that. But, Pat... I get made fun of by uh, my other friend, Pat, and Phil all the time about my number of spreadsheets. The number of spreadsheets I have about contracts and stats and, and anything, you name it, I probably have it on my spreadsheets. But I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. We were the first podcast to ever cover the Buffalo Bandits in Foley. And I know there's a few other ones out there, and I think they do a good job. And I think we all have our own niche Sure. role in in the podcasting world about the buffalo bandits and hats off to him i want more coverage on this team so who am i to put other podcasts down i want to try to bring everybody up and stuff like that but right. we like to pat ourselves on the back by being the first ones out there and then the rest of them followed us so <laughs> if you got something going there but yeah really the last two plus years besides maybe four or five episodes here or there we've been twice a week talking buffalo sports nonstop. You know, you, you mentioned the word spreadsheets. And as soon as you say that, I instantly think of Joe Biscalia. I'm talking about a guy who has spreadsheets galore. He's got like this cell phone with just a Bible of different spreadsheets. And when you said that, look, I don't have you on here to, to be critical of, of other outlets by any means. Like you said, you have to bring, bring everybody up. But to, to your point, why is it that... Um, you don't think, why is it that more outlets don't cover the bandits extensively? And I'm not talking about a playoff run because everybody gets on board for a playoff run. And so we're clear, this isn't Pamoran being critical. I'm no better. 
I don't think I don't think I mentioned the Bandits three times in the regular season. Then they got to the playoffs, and all of a sudden, I'm gonna start talking about them on the show. Why do you think that is? Is it? Do you think it's because Buffalo is just you know it's a pro sports town with the Bills and Sabers first, you know, foremost above all else, just a, a lack of resources to cover sports like like the Bandits, or even now to a lesser extent the Bisons as well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the league and the sport itself. It's never really taken off. I think it's been around for, what, 30, 35 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these players, the vast majority of them have other jobs, a professional sport, but they don't pay enough. So a lot of these players have to. I think I read that Nick Weiss, one of the defenders and transition players on the team, he's an underwater welder. I mean, the head coach, Johnny Tavares, who's the Wayne Gretzky, the Michael Jordan of the sport, yeah. he's a teacher. Imagine going yeah. to school and John Tavares is your teacher. The other half play in summer leagues elsewhere. A lot of the guys on the team, like the Dane Smiths, the Josh Burns, the Ian McKays, they play in the PLL, the outdoor league, on the chaos. They're all one team, so they're pretty much year-round. But I think a lot of the reason the news and the media – have limited resources, kind of like me and Phil do. We have other jobs. We have limited resources. So sure. a lot of that is dedicated to the Bills and the Sabres. And then whatever time is left over or the resources left over, the bandits get sprinkled in here or there. So having covered the team two plus years now, it was kind of a weird feeling, the whole playoffs, where you're seeing all this coverage during the title run and you're going, why are you here now? Where was this yeah. all year long? I mean, like, who are you to jump on this bandwagon when times are great? Where are you when the times are bad? But then you got to take a step back and kind of realize that that kind of stuff is great for the sport and the team because you're getting on local news that you got them covering the team. You got them on CW on the game three. It's live here for people to watch. You get them in the paper for people to read. You and for the league itself, you're on ESPN2 for games one and two. You're on ESPN News, ESPNU, every single game's on ESPN Plus in the States and TSN in Canada. So we've been saying on our podcast that you need to get this sport, these players, and this league into homes that typically wouldn't see them otherwise, and yeah. you'll see it grow leaps and bounds. And I'm very interested to see what the new commissioner, he was hired last September, I think it is, Brett Frude. I want to see what he does in his first offseason because he came over from NASCAR. He was big about marketing and, and all those kind of things to get money into the sport. And I think that's one thing that's lacking. But I think the other thing for the Bandits, I think that title win that they just had on Saturday might be exactly what they need for the team to capitalize on this already big momentum they have with winning and all through the playoffs and just dominating. Because I think a lot of like normal people out there who might not follow the sport truly might just see those last three titles and go, Oh, it's just typical Buffalo sports team just, just comes short. They, you sure. know, they go to the finals and they lose, but I think this wing can actually help grow the sport here in Buffalo. I mean, heck I'm, I'm talking to, I'm talking Buffalo lacrosse, which is incredible to me on your platform. Two yeah. years ago, if you were to tell me that, and I'd be talking lacrosse with Pat Moran on Talking Buffalo, I'd call you crazy. But I think that's kind of how this sport has grown and the potential it has. And I think it's just on its way coming. I think the peak's just there, and I think they're ready to explode. Yeah, we'll circle back to some Biza's talk in just a few minutes here. I think maybe the best compliment that I can think of to offer PK and Phil right now is that, yeah, the band is winning is great, obviously. but. Hearing you guys talk about the bandits singularly, that alone makes me more interested in wanting to know more about the team and the sport as well. And, and again, turning back to your part of the film, and by the way, for everyone watching and listening, I'll put a link to the show notes to, uh, to the, for the link for the podcast. You got to go check them out. These guys are really good. And I mean it too, man. Talk about the chemistry that you have with Phil. And I've had a lot of people on before, you know, who do shows all the time with the same person, the co-hosts and chemistry is not something that like you could really force. You know what I mean? It, it, it's formed sometimes over a long period of time. Sometimes you just, you get that chemistry with whoever your partner is relatively quickly. Um, what was it pretty natural for you guys? Once you got behind a microphone and started recording and talking, whether it was history or talking sports, was that chemistry? Do you feel like it came pretty natural to you guys? Maybe because of your friendship as well, or was it something, you know, that takes a lot of time to, to develop it and to kind of nurture a little bit? Well, I appreciate all the kind words. I, I really do. It means a lot just having anybody listen to my voice talk about just sports. I love it. It's a huge compliment to me. So I, I appreciate that. But I think with the aspect of, you know, my relationship with Phil, 
we were close outside of, uh, out of podcasting and this was kind of his baby and his idea to go. And then I'm the one that kind of just pushed the, okay, let's, you know, I like how talking history, but you know, it's, it's tons of work, the behind the scenes, the, the research and everything mm-hmm. like that. And the bills and the sabers and bandits and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's some research, but a lot of it is just the passion that you have for it. Now I didn't have the same passion for history. So talking bills and, and sabers and all that, it, it's, it comes more easily to me sure. and him. And I mean, the most difficult thing I think we've tried to overcome is when we're recording, we're in different homes, we're in different counties, like we're not together. So it, it does help that, you know, the podcasting editing magic where you kind of take out some of those lulls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to start, it was a bit rough. So I not advise anybody to go listen to two years ago stuff. It's outdated. You don't have to listen to it anyway. So no <laughs> I was going to ask that. you, you know, PK, but, I was going to ask you that, man. I was going to like, you ever go back and listen? And I know I certainly do. I go back to four or five years ago, the earliest episodes of this show. And I'm like, I thought at the time it was pretty good. And then I go back like a couple years later. I'm like, nah. you know, I mean, I hear myself now. And I'm like, I can't really <laughs> listen to myself talk right now. I don't want to listen to myself talk two years ago, sounding even dumber. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely taken a bit of time. But I think with the relationship we had outside of this podcast and being great friends for nonstop, I mean, he was one of my groomsmen in my wedding. That's how close oh, we are. Cool. But it's it's definitely it's taken a bit of time to gel together. I don't know how much quicker it could have happened if we were recording, you know, in the same room and being able to bounce each other off and know like, Hey, I'm done talking here. And then you jump in. But I think just the way that we're sounding towards the end of a sentence, we're able to pick up, okay, you're about to end this way. I'm getting ready to start and jump in. I think bouncing off ideas against each other, it it definitely has taken a bit of time, but I think we're we're getting there i don't think we're ever gonna get there but i think we're we're getting there and getting better at you know there's there's been times where you know i'm sitting back behind the microphone because we don't have video yet and i'm just going okay it's been like four or five minutes phil's still talking when do i cut him off so we still have moments of that but (laughs) beyond that i mean I, i think we've gotten pretty good at bouncing you know talking points off each other or ideas or something and where we don't really there's been times where I've tried to set him up for failure with my little games because <laughs> it's it's fun putting him on the spot because he doesn't handle the, that type of pressure easily. And I find it amusing and fun. But other than that, I mean, I, I don't think we've ever had an argument. I don't think we've ever really gotten mad at each other or yelled at each other. I think it's just a good working relationship just back and forth that we both want the best for this podcast, regardless of who is right and who is wrong. It doesn't really matter to us. Well, I, I think it really that really comes across when you uh, when you press play on the show. You don't mind me asking, and again, I'm literally just getting to know you the same as some people who are watching and listening right now are. You're from, are you're living in this area. You're in Western New York. Yeah, I grew up in NT, and then I moved to Niagara Falls. But I like to tell people. I can see Wheatfield from my house. I'm literally uh, like two houses from Wheatfield. I, I'm literally just barely in Niagara Falls. So don't give me too bad of a rap. And Phil, Phil's from this area. He's he's in this area as well. Yeah, Phil is over in Erie County. Is I think it's Amherst. Don't quote me on that. I think it's Amherst. Okay, fair enough. Close enough. All right, again, like I said, I'm going to put a, a link to their show, Buffalo Sports Collective, in the show notes. You got to make sure you go check that out. Let's talk some actual, uh, some sports here for a couple of minutes. Um, big news going on with the Buffalo Bills. You know, generally after a draft and you know, a couple of weeks of OTA, there's just like a lull that goes on in football generally, or at least it used to anyway, all the way up through pretty much training camp. And uh, that's not the case with the Buffalo Bills is just over the last handful of days. I guess let's start with um, Ed Oliver. So that was pretty big news on Sunday. Kind of came out of nowhere. There were no reports, no inklings really that they were close to getting a, a long-term deal with Ed Oliver done. But they've done that now, four years, $68 million, 45 of that. Um, guaranteed. There's still some little tidbits of the contract that aren't public, you know, as we're taping this here mid Monday. So we don't know every little single detail of the contract and you know how that goes. Contracts could be deceiving when you see them compared to what they really are. But uh, I don't know. Let's just start there. Let's get your thoughts on this signing. And again, being the first time I've ever talked to you, I really don't know what you think much about specific players and you know for for that matter these teams so we're going to find that out but your initial thoughts when you heard on sunday that ed oliver inked this uh extension 
I think you put it perfectly. It came out of nowhere. I don't think yeah. anybody really expected it. I mean, I was getting changed and ready to go to Bandit Land on Saturday and the news popped up and I went, oh my God, I didn't know that was happening. I really thought yeah. that they were going to let that go through the whole fifth year and see how you know the fifth year option worked for him out there. But uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the deal. I, I definitely like the player. I think he has good potential, but it kind of reminds me of like a Dawson Knox type deal where he's a good to very good player, but he's not a great player. And sure. I, I can't remember who said it. It might've been Joe DiBiase on WGR this morning or in the past, he might've tweeted it, but it got me thinking it, how many good to great contracts can you, or good to very good contracts can you have for players until you run out of room to get those great players. And yeah. my my biggest hope for him is he takes that next step and it becomes a bigger disruptor back there. I mean, he's had his moments, he's he's had his big flashes and he's had, you know, moments of being great, but he hasn't been a steady presence for a former number 9 overall pick. I don't think we've gotten and I don't think the team itself has gotten what they were expecting out of him. I know he's smaller size to be a, a DT in the league, but I think having Daquan Jones next to him, having a Puna Ford that just came in, re-signing Jordan Phillips, I think that might help him because a lot of those guys are going to be able to take the double teams. It's, I mean, they're sticking to their word. You got to give the yeah. bands or the the Bills that they're they're drafting, they're developing, they're re-signing, and I think the only two players really off the top of my head that didn't get new and secondary deals are Tremaine Edmonds and Harrison Phillips, and I think that is because they got price pointed out, and I mean. I've always been, and I think I always will be a player mentality first with the contracts where, you know, NFL lifespan is very short, go get paid while you can. So congrats and very happy for Ed Oliver and his family. But then you look at it for the team's perspective and how does that affect their ability to sign other guys down the road? I mean, I don't, we don't know how their cap contract for this year. I don't know how that brought his cap hit down this year and what it looks like next year. Like you said, that all gets worked out a bit later, but I think what helps with this deal, at least, is there's really only, what, three guys that need a deal down the road, and Gabe Davis, Daquan Jones, and Micah Hyde. Everybody else is on, like, one-year yeah. deals or death players. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm more interested to see what the next step is and if he can take the next step as well. I want to point out a couple of things. Number one, I apologize. I said Sunday, like, two times, and it was actually Saturday when Oliver signed. Because I was at a picnic myself, and, and news started circulating. People were coming up, you heard that Oliver signed. I was like, what? Anyway, I, I like the fact, again, not having spoken to you about any of this stuff, I, I was thinking in my mind, like when I have Aaron on or Joe Yurd and these guys, I pretty much know what they're going to say already, you know, and not having any idea how you're reacting to something. To me, that's kind of different and fun. You brought up some points that I really like, and one of them was um, Tremaine Edmonds. You know, you, you get to a point where you can outprice it based if you had that good year. Going into last season, Nobody wanted to give Jermaine Edmonds big money, long-term deal. Jermaine Edmonds, whether you love him, whether you don't love him, he had his best year by far last year, and maybe he priced himself out of re-signing. I feel like maybe to some extent that was in Brandon Bean's mind, and if he if he likes to play at Oliver, he wants to get it done now. Suppose if he goes out and he tears shit up in a contract year, he might price himself out of Buffalo at that point. So I, I do like that point. I'm kind of like in the middle with this, PK, to be honest with you, because on one end, my issues with Ed Oliver on the show, I've said it many times, there's too much flash with him and, and not enough consistency. I, I don't like the fact that it seems to me at times, at least with him anyway, seems to need to have a lot around him clicking to see the best version of Ed Oliver. Like, yeah, if Daquan Jones is playing and in the lineup and he's playing well next to him, where Vaughn Miller's on the edge on the other side, it seems like Ed Oliver plays a lot better. You know what I mean? It's like It seems like there needs to be a lot of pieces around him to to be in um you know kind of cohesive with him playing well and honestly i've said this too on this show i thought that oliver was garbage in the playoffs last year just straight garbage he had a sack against miami it was a, a gimme sack it was a misassignment you or i could have had a sack on that play and not just him i mean to be fair nine defenders you could say the same thing about minus matt milano maybe a Kyrie elam against the Bengals, but he was just absent he was just getting pushed and bullied all over the place. I thought it was embarrassing. So I, I, you know, I thought he was garbage in the playoffs. I think he's a good, a very good player, like you said. So I, I, and my first glance was I didn't love it. But then I started seeing some contracts of other guys out there. 
other defensive tackles. Um, Joe Biscal, you pointed this out on the athletic as well. Um, he's still young. He's only 25 years old. You know, he's going into his fifth season. And if you include the, the extension along with what he's making this year, I'm looking at the numbers right now. So it's basically five years, 15.75 million, which only puts him 16th among defensive tackles currently. And that's going to go down soon because there's a couple guys out there that are going to get some big money real soon, probably in the next couple months. So you're talking about a guy who's getting paid around middle of the pack. Now, if you take away PK, the, the four years, 68 million to 45 guaranteed or what he makes per year. And I told you Ed Oliver is about middle of the pack for starting three tech defensive tackles and what they get paid. It starts to make the deal feels a little bit better when you say it that way, doesn't it? You think? Yeah, I mean, when you break it down like that and the and the numbers that you put out there, I think it does make it feel a bit better. It, yeah. You're still, like you said, you still want more consistency out of it. So with the deal, you're getting five more years of him. You you want to see him, like you said, less flash and more consistency. You'd rather mm -hmm. have, you know, it, it fill the gap here and and more pressures on the quarterback or or whatever you want to call it. But definitely, it, it's still to me. I think you're similar to the Dawson Knox. Like I said, you're paying him for more what you're hoping the next step is going to be than what he's actually produced so far. Because if I were to put it like that, I, I don't think he's been the 15th best defensive tackle in the league. That's I think fair. he's, I think he's probably top 25, maybe top 30. That's fair. So I, I still think you're, you're close to, you know, getting that, <laughs> that 15, but you're, you still got a ways to go. And like you said, during the playoffs, he was kind of invisible and, I think you also put that, you know, he needs a lot of things to click. He, I don't believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it was a while ago, Daquan Jones didn't play in that Cincinnati game. You're not. Yeah. So, off. right. So not having him kind of, you know, eliminates Ed Oliver a ways as well. So definitely the numbers make it appear better, but I think it's still, they're, they're hoping that they're getting more out of him than they've gotten so far. And like you said, he's still young, still 25, still has got a ways to go. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those ones that I'll trust Brandon Bean until he's been wrong, and he's been right a lot more times than he's been wrong. So I'll trust him with this one. I feel like whichever way you want to flip the coin, I, I feel like Ed Oliver is on the verge of becoming this team's biggest uh, enigma, which I kind of felt used to be uh, the honor that Tremaine Edmonds held until I thought I was not a big Tremaine fan, but. I'm objective, man. You know, and I'm not afraid to say when I'm wrong. And I was not high on him going into last year. And I thought he played very well. Again, though, minus the playoffs. He was not good in the playoffs either. But pretty much nobody on that defense was. Who knows? Maybe some of it is coaching as well. But yeah, I, I think it's like whatever way you want to. This is the kind of case, like if you're if you're arguing for or against keeping Ed Oliver here long term, I think you can make very reasonable arguments. I like the talent. I still think he's got upside, but yeah, I don't need, or I don't want to Jaquan Jones. They need to be in the lineup to see Ed Oliver play well, or I don't need Vaughn Miller to be fully healthy to, to see him play. Well, kind of a segue too into uh, my next question for you, because Vaughn won't be healthy, at least not at the beginning of the season anyway. So the bills went out and this was Relatively surprising. The players surprised, and I'm not really surprised to be completely honest with you that they signed a defensive end. I know all the talk's been about Hopkins, a little bit Delvin Cook, but when some money came free on Saturday with Ed Oliver, we don't still don't know how much money because we don't know all the details. But there was a lot of talk about well, they're gonna do something. Well, they did do something on Monday. Uh they signed Leonard Floyd to a one-year contract as we're taping this. We don't know for how much, and frankly, I don't care. Brandon Bean has made it work. This is an edge guy, this is a pass rusher. I tweeted about this um, over the weekend, PK, in fact, on Sunday. And I said, you know, you can lo I love Hopkins. Nothing against him. Nothing against Dalvin Cook. Good players. I feel like the offense has enough. And, and I feel like this team lacked a pass rusher, especially with Vaughn Miller. Who knows when he's going to be back or when he's 100%. Uh, your thoughts on Leonard Floyd um, comes over from the Rams. He's had, he had nine sacks last year, 29 sacks over the last three years with the Rams. So he's been productive. Nine, at least nine sacks each of the last three years. I'll give you a positive and a negative. I think it's great because I think it's a position of need for them. They haven't been able to really, I mean, like you said, with Von Miller, is he going to be on the pup list and be out the first six weeks? Is he going to be ready, but not a hundred percent? Is he going to be on a limited snap count? He's probably not going to be anywhere near a hundred because how can you be? But I think 
for me, the positive is you you got the position of need you wanted. And he's been floating out there. And I've seen a lot of people, I think Cover One's been putting out how many edge rushers are still available and go get them. And you need one more. And I mean, he was on the list and I, I really like the signing. I think it's, I think it's what, nine sacks in the last three years each year. But yeah, then you look at the negative. What does that say about their ability to draft edge rushers so far? I mean, they've invested how much capital in it, and a lot. none of them have really panned out. I mean, Gregory Rousseau was pretty good last year. Not great. Again, you got A.J. Epinesa. What's going to happen there? Boogie Basham was a breach to me so far. It's a big reason why you had to bring Shaq Lawson back to, to hit the edge. But I think, I, I think what has been nice about Brandon Bean, as opposed to some other GMs in the league, is he's not afraid to kind of make moves that proves, okay, I screwed up in this area and I got to grab this guy to make it right. Where, I mean, it, it was uh, uh, Zay Jones earlier in the year when he he was just stinking. Second round pick, he shipped him out the door. A lot of GMs would just fight to keep him on the field and keep going, keep going. So I think that's the nice thing about Brandon Bean is if he screws up, he can make room to fix it and he's not going to dwell sure. on it and hey, say, hey, AJ Vanessa, second round pick, got to get him on the field. He's he's willing to adjust. So I love the signing. It's another tinkering move that Brandon Bean is able to do where it's another un, under $2 million signing for a, a really, really good player. And I think coming to a team that rotates the defensive line so often, it's going to keep him fresh. He's going to cover for Von Miller when he's out. I, I really love the signing, and I think it hits on one of their biggest needs besides, you know, middle linebacker. It, it, it's a fair point, too, because I like the signing as well. It's at least somewhat of an indictment, though, that with AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham, that, you know, you got a guy, Von Miller, who will be back, and you got Rizzo, that you got to go out and that you got to get somebody. But I do like the player. Uh, let me pull up a stat, too, and I'll put up on the video if you're listening here on the audio side. Um, the athletic instant analysis. They put up some stats about Leonard Floyd specifically. Uh, I'll read just a couple of these off real quick. Among defenders with at least 200 pass rushes last season, so there's 178 qualified players. This is via True Media. Um, Floyd was 25th in set or 25th with nine sacks, 27th in pressures with 54, and 51st in pressure percentage at 11.6. And then if you look at the last three years, at least 600 snaps. He's 10th overall in sacks over the last three years, 16th in pressure, and uh, 58th in, in pressure percentage. So the guy's a productive player, um, PK. You know what I mean? He, he's proven. I like that. And also, to your point, like you said, uh, he's not afraid to go out and get a move. We're not going to, if you can't trust Boogie, and maybe Boogie Basham, listen, Boogie Basham could still come out and have a really good year. AJ Epinesa could still come out and have a, I don't think they're written off at this point with this move. That said, I like Brandon Bean's um, willingness to go out and, and go get a guy like this. Now, you can look later in the year, too. You eventually get a, a healthy Vaughn Miller, and you have a healthy uh, Floyd rushing Scary. with Rajot. Maybe you bring you know a lot of passing downs. Rajot's been playing inside some with that Oliver. You know what I mean? So the pass rush, I, I think this is a good move to bolster the pass rush as a whole. You know? So anyway, all right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, plenty of Sabres talk, but before that, I still got another follow-up Bills question, but we'll get to that right after this quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, I'm back with PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective. First time here on this podcast speaking with PK. So let me ask you, before we talk uh, Sabres and Bandits here for a few minutes to round out the show, when you look at this Bills roster right now, do you think it's clearly better than it was this time a year ago? Because last year you go out and you make the big splashy signing with Vaughn Miller. Not the case this year. However, Brandon Bean's done some work, man. Let me pull up uh, Matt Bovey had a tweet. Here's some notable free agent additions for the Bills this offseason. Connor McGovern, Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford, Damian Harris, Taylor Rapp, DeAndre Hardy, uh, Trent Shurfield, Brandon Shell, Latavius Murray, David Edwards, Kyle Allen. No Vaughn Miller level splash, Matt says, but some really good, solid players. You lose Tremaine, obviously that's a big loss. But overall, man, I kind of, I don't know, dude. I, I, I'm feeling better about this team. And there's some other players they lost too, but the big one was Tremaine. How do you feel about this team right now compared to maybe how you felt about this team 12 months ago if I had you on the show? Yeah, I mean, the season definitely left a sour taste in your mouth the way it ended. Offense couldn't get anything going, and then the sure. defense was getting shredded by the Bengals. And you kind of go, is this the team that we thought they were? Are they as good as we thought they were? But everything that went down at the end of the season, you kind of understood that they were just mentally and emotionally and everything just drained. But sure. to answer your question, I think on paper – they're better than they were last year. I think they filled out the roster perfectly. And again, I don't know what witchcraft magic Brandon Bean does to work these numbers. I like to always just say like the salary cap's fake. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it does when you dive into the numbers and what cover one does and unbelievable with them. They're a huge resource for me. So thank yeah. you for all of them. But it's, it's, they fixed the line. Connor McGregor, uh, McGovern, I think, is going to be a great guard for that team. Drafting Torrance is going to be a great. I don't know if he's going to be able to start right away, but he's going to be a great player maybe next year or towards the end of the year as well. I mean, you bring in Sherfield and Hardy in the receiving game, get more speed out there. Sherfield's a great blocker out there. As I like well. him. So I, I wonder if you take more blocking roles away from Gabe Davis and give him more opportunities in the wide receiver game. You drafting Kincaid and shorter Harris, I believe is as good or slightly better than Devin Singletary. And I think you bring him in to take some of those, you know, fourth and ones or three and ones away from Josh Allen to take some of that abuse off of him. And then even on the defense, yes, you lost Tremaine Edmonds, but he might've been the only loss on the whole team really as, as far as playmakers, you bring in a guy like Taylor Rapp, who, if Micah High can't come back from that neck injury, if Jordan Poyer, who is on the wrong side of 30, is has nagging injuries, you can put him in in a pinch and not lose a beat. But, I mean, you got Jordan Poyer back. I think on paper, this team is better. It just, I think it comes down to, does Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen's relationship take that next step? Because when Brian Dable was here, they were in sync nonstop. I mean, the offense couldn't be stopped. They when one person was they were thinking the same thing. I'm just yeah. hoping that year two, second year making play calls with Ken Dorsey, Josh Allen has these new weapons. Can they use those new weapons to their advantage? I think the the offense was still really, really good, but it wasn't really creative and it wasn't really consistent. You had those explosive games right in the beginning of the season versus Tennessee and the Rams. But then it was kind of like they were struggling a lot. I mean, the team lost to the Jets. So I think you're looking for more consistency and more creativity out of the offense because, I mean, the offense is going to be good no matter what as long as Josh Allen's taking the snaps. But 
It's can you hang with the top teams in the league like the the Cincinnati Bengals and the the, the Kansas City Chiefs because that's who you got to beat to reach your end goal right now. I agree with almost every single thing you said. That loss last year to the Bengals in the playoffs, I, I think it's really lingered at one Bills drive, and I think Brandon Bean has taken that to heart, and I think he's attempted anyway to do a lot about that. You know, I don't want to get controversial on the show, especially having a guest on for the first time. I don't know why Leslie Frazier, the real reason why Leslie Frazier isn't here. Was he forced out indirectly by the Bills? Did he not just not want to be here? Did Sean want to take over the defense? Did Sean not like jobs? We don't know. And maybe someday we'll find out answers. All that matters is that Sean McDermott is running this defense now. And I think on the offensive side of the ball, they were bullied bad against the Bengals. Bad. You know, with uh, some backups, especially while well, the Bengals offensive line was backups. But anyway, the Bills offense, not physical enough when they needed to be. And you go out this offseason and you go and you draft in the second round a big ass guard who I think is going to be a good player. He might start week one. He might, it might be later in the year or even in year two, like you suggested. That could happen. We'll see how that plays out. But he's certainly an intriguing prospect. You get, you bring in Damian Harris and Latavius Murray, by the way, two running backs who, yeah, I think they're more physical than Singletary. I'm not, they're not maybe skill wise. I don't know. It could be a wash, but I just think they do different things better. And I think, uh, these guys are more physical, so this offense is looking to be more physical. You draft Dalton Kincaid, who's a tight end, but he's going to play a lot of big slot receivers, so he's a bigger, hopefully, if all goes well, a bigger version of what they had in Cole Beasley. So you're looking at a lot more physicality on the offense. And then on defense, I really think they know how bad um, not having Daquan Jones hurt them because I think signing Puna Ford after the draft, I, I thought that's a big deal. So they improved at the depth. Like I said, they bring in another edge rusher as well because they could not sniff Joe Burrow last year without Vaughn Miller. Um, so it's that, and then it's health BK, you know, that's what it comes down to. The bills were flat out unlucky last year with health. Trey white came back, but he wasn't the Trey white that we saw before that Jordan Poyer was, he was a mess. You know, the, the whole body was injured last year. He gave it a go. I mean, he was a trooper, but you could see the difference between him early in the year at the end of the year. He just wasn't who he normally is. And then Micah being back, you know, so, and then Vaughn's going to be back too this year, hopefully sooner than later, but injuries. And coaching. I think that's what it's all about with this roster. Because I agree with you. I do think it's better as well. I'm paying. Yeah, I think you brought up the good point about, because uh, I completely overlooked the Leslie Frazier and, and Sean McDermott taking over. What's that going to look like if the defense gives up a 12-play, 75-yard touchdown drive? Is he going to yeah. still be on the sidelines being that head coach? Or is he going to be having to go over and talk to the defense? How is that dynamic going to work? Because we know how detail-oriented he is. How's I mean, it's going to be the first time where he's making defensive calls. And I know everything that we see, he was heavily involved in the defense and the, the play calls and everything like that. But it's a different monster when you're the head coach and you're making the defensive calls. Is that going to change the way you're thinking as a head coach? I mean, we haven't seen it yet. And time will tell if it, it was the right decision to leave him as the defensive coordinator and the play caller. I feel... And well, the results will speak for themselves in a matter of months. I feel like Sean McDermott is going to be more aggressive with the play calls. And, and I think that's something that bothered him. Maybe, you know, he wasn't going to overrule Leslie Frazier. And I'm speculating. This is his opinion. This is not sourced information. This is just me making a semi-educated guess. I, I think Sean McDermott wanted the defense to be a little more aggressive, where I think Leslie Frazier played a little more um, by the book. So you might see a little bit of, and maybe that's why they weren't, Probably the biggest, if I asked you three months ago, PK, the biggest surprise of the offseason, and you would have said they did pretty much nothing at middle linebacker to replace Tremaine. I, I think that, would you agree that probably would be the biggest surprise if I asked you that a couple months ago, that they're not going to touch middle linebacker? You'd be like, huh? I think that, that or they, hmm. drafting the tight end Dalton Kincaid, once I dug into it more, because I sure. leave the drafting and everything to the real people that put in the time and year after year researching all that stuff. But you see him trade up and you're thinking, okay, this has got to be for a middle linebacker. Are they going after one of the wide receivers? Hopefully not, because it's one of the fifth wide receivers being taken. But then they take the tight end and you're going, okay, what the heck is going on? And then you read more <laughs> about him and you're understanding that yeah. he's more like a tight end wide receiver 2.0. But yeah. I think if, if you were going to, you know, what happened three months ago, I think the the lack of attention to the middle linebacker has been very confusing to me 
that they haven't brought anybody in. I thought they would be highly involved in trying to get Bobby Wagner in. They must feel very confident in who they have in-house or they're feeling much more confident in, hey, we have one of the two best linebackers next to this middle linebacker in Matt Milano. We can kind of not invest as much money in the middle linebacker here because we have Matt Milano right next to him. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, the defensive line, they're they're banking on them being better and McDermott may be coming up with some creative schemes where it's not all that much. And by the way, Dorian Williams, who was drafted in the third round, immediately after the draft, Brandon Bean said the guy's going to start at outside linebacker, which sent a lot of fans and, and me into a tizzy because I was like, why did you just draft Matt Milano's backup in the next three years? But at OTAs, at least early on, they're messing with him at middle linebacker too. So who knows? We'll see how that plays out. But anyway, uh, I want to talk Sabres for just a few minutes here. And again, having PK, I got to keep saying this over and over. On the show for the first time, I'm learning your general thoughts. I'm going to get to know, uh, you know, how you feel about a lot of things and get a little more specific. But being the first time on your show, talking Sabres for just a few minutes here. What are your general feelings right now about this organization? Obviously, they narrowly missed the playoffs. Um, how do you feel about this organization right now as things stand? and maybe going forward into the future a little bit, was this past season satisfying for you? I mean, if you say no, I'm going to assume like, God damn, dude, you had some pretty lofty-ass expectations. But uh, what were your feelings on the Sabres after watching them for this season? It was a fun ride. I had a good time this year with them. It was, you felt alive for the first time since they drafted Jack Eichel, and you got that, you know, giddy feeling about what could be. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't work out because, you know, organization just stunk. But I we went in not expecting playoffs. I was not expecting playoffs whatsoever from this team. I just kept going. I want meaningful games in March and April. Yeah. And I want to see how this team responds when the pressure is on. You saw them the year before. Okay, March clicks and they went on that unbelievable roll, but they were mm-hmm. out of it since like December. I wanted to see what it meant and how they responded to that pressure. And they were in it till like the final games. I don't I don't think anyone can look at this team and not be super excited and super psyched for what's to come. And I, I like to admit I'm wrong all the time. I was a Josh Rosen fan over a Josh Allen fan. I was not a fan Same. of Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> I still get made fun of all the time. My brother, really? I probably, because we get each other signed pictures of people that we were so high on and you got to hang them in your house. And I've got- I respect you calling yourself out for it though. I, oh, I, do it about five, I, I put up a tweet that was five years old saying I wanted Josh Rosen over Josh Allen. So yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong because that usually yeah, means yeah. that the team is doing better than what sure. I, I'm, I'm behind this microphone for a reason. I'm not on the sidelines for a reason, but I was also skeptical of the Kevin Adams hiring. I thought he was a handpicked GM to listen to Terry yeah. Pagula's you know, wishes. I, I thought that Botterill was a horrible GM, but I thought that Kevin or uh, Terry Pagula was trying to right a wrong and say, Hey, I'm no more than I was completely wrong about that. The contracts of Tage Thompson right before he exploded a second year cousins in his explosion year, Samuelson's like a six or $7 million defenseman. And he's getting what 4.2, all the trades he made. We don't have to go over all those, but I think also the other thing is Kevin Adams when drafting, he's not afraid to take that risk. You kind of see it with the Russian prospects that he's drafting. Some of the guys that are overlooked or, you know, they don't want to take the risk on. He's taking those risks and getting Yuri Kulik in. And then you got what, three or four other Russians to sign with him. I, I think he's developing that prospect pool. I, personally, I just wish he was a little bit more aggressive last offseason and grabbing a more you know, solid goaltender. I think that's the only knock I can give him besides, you know, is Greenway worth the trade of the second round pick and the fifth round pick going out the door? Can Granado turn him in and make him that type of player? I think they're expecting him to be, but I mean, how can you not be super excited? And I I think I said it on our show so far, this is the first time you see the light at the end of the tunnel and aren't assuming it's the train coming right at you. Um, about, before the season started, anyway, Tage Thompson gets that big deal. At the time, he had one really, really good season of productivity, and he got a deal. Obviously, in hindsight now, it, it looks like a, an amazing deal that's going to pay off for years to come. Looking back, though, at the time, were you on board with that deal, or were you a little bit skeptical? The room, the, t- the temperature of the room that I felt from fans on Twitter and Facebook was kind of divided. Like half the people were like, well, you're paying now, you're taking your chance. 
whatever. And obviously that's paid off, or at least early on, it's certainly paying off. Then there were other people like, including some mainstream people were like, you know, man, you do that one year of productivity and you're giving them all this money. To your point, Kevin Adams, great move. But what was your reaction at that time? I got I to gotta know. So I've already admitted I was wrong twice. So hopefully I've gained a little bit of trust that the people are listening with you. Sure. I was in favor of the Tage Thompson deal because yeah. you want to sign these young players to those big time deals before they explode. Because right now he's playing at a $10 million, $11 million pace. There's times where you have to you know, make those risks. And that's the only way you're going to turn into like a Tampa Bay or those great Pittsburgh Penguin years because they signed their key young core at major deals before they exploded. I mean, that was a huge, huge risk that Kevin Adams took, that it wasn't just a a one-year or even like a half-a-year explosion from Tage Thompson, because right. the years before that, I mean, there's rumors out there that he was being you know offered for a trade for a fourth or a fifth-round pick. How true those are, I have no idea, but those rumors are out there. So to take that risk that Kevin Adams did, I loved it. I loved the cousin signing. I loved the Samuelson signing. Now, if some of my friends haven't loved it and I've been able to push it in their face that, ha ha, you were wrong <laughs> because they do it all to me all the time. But I think where the team was at, you need to take those time type of risks to build that core and to get them into a younger, you know, a, a more team friendly deal. I mean, credit to cousins. He took, he could have waited, but he took a, a, I want to call it more team friendly deal coming in right under Tage Thompson to try to keep this core around. And I think you can kind of relate the Sabres to what the Bandits are doing, where they're just so close-knit and they love playing for one another, where it'll be interesting because Darlene's the big one coming up. Is he going to take that bit of a discount, or is he going to try to break the bank and want like $10, $11, $12 million? Because he's the player that is worth that. I'm just wondering if they're going to be able to get him to a more team-friendly deal or not, because... If they can get him a team-friendly deal, this this team has all the makeup and the financial ability to really take that next leap, which has to be playoffs next year. You feel like Kevin Adams, and I'll get to that point that you just said in a second because I was going to follow up with that too, but um, you feel like Kevin Adams has started to earn trust with fans because you look at the Tage Thompson deal, and again, that was probably like a 50-50 deal at the time when it was done. There were a lot of people who were critical of it. Now, Dylan Cousins, kind of the same deal, gets a, gets a good contract. Not a lot of proven production, a lot of potential, and we see it. And he looks like a hell of a player, but they lock him up for several years. But this time, unlike Tage, this was pretty much universally lauded by fans because, in part, you're starting to are you starting to see more trust in Adams because, in part, of a of a contract that like Tage Thompson got. I think you're starting to see the makings of the trust that Brandon Bean has, where you can almost do no wrong now. I don't think Kevin Adams, like I said, the the biggest criticism I have of him right now is the Jordan Greenway deal because is he going to be worth that second round pick? He, It's kind of like, I will trust you until you prove me otherwise that I can't trust you anymore. So he's getting more and more leeway because he hasn't really been wrong yet. I mean, the, the Jack Quinn pick from a couple of years ago where he was just really bad in AHL last year you were kind of going, okay, you know, it's another draft pick. How did you miss on this one? But I think, I think all the trades he made, like the Sam Reinhart one, that is almost a franchise altering trade he made to bring in Devin Levi. And then the draft pick becomes Yuri Kulik. It, he doesn't seem like he messed up that Jack Eichel trade. Yes, he's in the finals. I might be in the very vast minority that I'm happy to see Jack Eichel out there because I was on Jack Eichel's side of he's the player deserves to get the surgery he wants. Who are you to tell yes. him otherwise? But I, I think, I think I don't know what the other majority of fans feel, but for me at least, Kevin Adams has earned the right and earned my trust until he completely screws something up. But it, it's definitely playoffs or bust this year. I, I guess I'm tying into your next question, but it, it, if they don't make playoffs this year, I think that's when you lose some of the trust. I'll, I'll just, you're reiterating, and I agree with you and Joe Yernan. Joe Yernan said on the show many times, this year was fun. Next year, the expectations to make the playoffs. So not making the playoffs means you're not meeting expectations. I completely agree with that. And to your point about Jack, like, you know what? I'm so glad you said that shit because I'm going to tell you, it's easy now for him to be the villain. And I know when he came to Buffalo and he had some snide comments and looks out his face, 
I know how that fired up some fans. But let's look at the situation in its totality between the surgery, between what a dysfunctional disaster this organization was while Jack Eichel was here. How could the guy wants to win? He wanted to. How can you blame the guy for being unhappy and ultimately wanting out? They stripped the captaincy from him, which at that point I get that. But my whole thing is between the surgery, the injury, and just being sick and miserable about losing. You know, would you be in a good mood too? I know you'd be rich. I get that. But be careful. You're going to be in a good mood if you, you know, if you're the one who's counted on to be the savior and this franchise is just run so piss poor from coaching to the GM to, you know, personnel decisions to line combinations to coaching to, frankly, some of the players as well, too. You know, he was a miserable dude and he wanted out. I, I don't blame him so much for that. I really don't. And I never have. I mean, I wouldn't be living in the falls right now like I am. But yeah, I mean, you're being coached by a soccer guy. And uh, it's the worst. I've, I, I, it still boils me. I mean, what he did to Jeff Skinner, a 30 to 40 goal scorer, and he's not even good enough to play on your fourth line. I mean, it's unbelievable how bad it was, but it feels so good to talk to somebody that feels exactly like I do about Jack Eichel, because there's very few of us out there yeah. that are, I wouldn't even just say it like on the Jack Eichel side, because it was a disaster at the end to begin with, but mm -hmm. not to like vilify him. Because if you flip the script, if a player had the whole situation outside and that Jack Eichel came to Buffalo, you would love a guy talking crap to another team like that. Mm -hmm. It just happened to you. It, and I can understand why fans hate him and I can understand why fans, because he was, he was crowned to be the savior. It's not his fault that it fell on his head and he came short of those goals. Do you see the organization that they built around him? It was, it was pathetic. And that's why it's just so a, a nice fresh of a, a breath of fresh air to see where this team has come. The, the, the way they've dug out of the depths of hell they were in to be where they are now. It's, it feels really, really good to be a Sabres fan right now. Yeah, look, the guy had a moment of weakness. I was critical of him in the locker room in that press conference following when Vegas came here and they lost. I thought he was petty. Yeah, but you know what? Petty, yep. we're, all, we're all petty at times. We all have weak moments that doesn't, you know, he shouldn't destroy his complete character over that. I understood a lot of his frustration while he was here. And it was, you know what? It's a trade that it seems like it's going to work for both teams. Vegas is literally in the Stanley Cup. So if you're a Sabres fan, oh, we fleeced him. No, you did. Because Jack Uggles playing in the Stanley Cup right now. But if you're a Sabres fan, too, you're like, well, look what we got in return. You know, talk grabs, draft picks. It's, it's worked out uh, for both teams. Before I get you out of here, quickly, I want to circle back to them one more time. Uh, the Bandits. And on the Bandits a little bit, discuss this championship. I'm Obviously, you were there over the weekend in that arena. And uh, I don't know, just talk about the experience and the vibe of being in there, watching a team win a pro championship. We kind of discussed a little bit already why, you know, why this team's not covered and, and talked about nearly enough. So instead of, you know, criticizing or, or us talking about them not being covered enough, let's kind of talk about the fans that do support this team and just how, how rabid, rabid this, this fan base is, man. It's just, it's an electric. I did watch the game on Saturday. Again, I'm a front runner. I'm not fronting. I admit that. Watched it. It was awesome. Loved watching on TV. We were cheering along for the goals. And it was an ass whooping too. It wasn't really much drama, but just talking about being in that arena, winning a championship, their first in 15 years, fifth overall. Well, Pat, there's room for everybody in bandit land. So you're more than welcome. Good. But I mean, what a vast difference because game three last year home, I was there too. I think I spent as much time sitting in my seat last year after the game ended as I did in my seat after the game ended on Saturday, just because, you know, covering the team, you kind of, you root for these kind of guys because yes, they're professional athletes. Yes. They're at the top level of their sport, but for the vast majority of these guys, they're just like you and I, I mean, they go out in the community, they bust their butt in the community. They, I mean, guys like Dane Smith and Josh Byrne, the day after the morning after they won their championship, they were helping a youth group, in lacrosse and they brought their trophy there that made awesome like memories of a lifetime for those kids to take the time out of their they could have just said hey we're hung over we ain't showing up but it just shows the character and the amazing you know characteristics that this team is is made up of i mean they're just normal guys that are just happen to be unbelievable lacrosse players but to speak to being in that arena 
I didn't want to leave. I mean, I was sitting in my seat with my wife, my wife to my left, just, I, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want that feeling to stop. And I don't know what it's going to feel like if the Sabres ever win. I don't know what it's going to feel like if the Bills ever win, because I'm not going to be in attendance for those games. I'm going to be home, experience it with like friends or family or whatever's watching the watch party. But to be there, I mean, we said the predictions on our show right before the game. And I went, uh, I'm not, I don't know if this is going to happen, but my prediction is they're going to be up by five goals with five minutes to go. And I want to feel that atmosphere of bandit land, knowing that they're winning the championship and just seeing that place go nuts. We got it in like the end of the third. I mean, it was over once Spanger scored that one off the, off the, um, Ian McKay dug it out of the boards and Spanger went down and scored right after Colorado scored. It felt over, but the, the loudest I have ever felt that arena Mm -hmm. was when Max Adler won that face off goes down and scores his, his second ever career goal. His first one is a penalty shot. When he scored that one, I've never felt bandit land that loud before. It was unbelievable. Was, was it kind of like if you're a golfer and you you're walking up the 18th fairway, the 72nd fairway, you know, you've won the tournament. It's over. And you're not thinking about having to make a four or five foot putt, you know, to save power, make a birdie to win and avoid a playoff. You're coming up that 18th fairway. The fans are behind you. They're going nuts. You're just smiling. You're enjoying. It's the most peaceful. I would imagine. I mean, I don't know. It was on number one shit, but you know, you, you would, it's like the most peaceful. I would imagine the most peaceful, easy feeling. And you're just soaking it all in. Was that kind of like the vibe for the like maybe the last handful of minutes of that game? There's no drama. You're you're not like, oh my God, we are we gonna win? Are we gonna win? I'm so scared, I'm so scared, I'm so nervous. You know the game's over, and you're just kind of enjoying your basking in it. Was that a nice feeling to have like that? I think for the fans, you get that type of experience. I think for the players, they definitely weren't because you're still seeing a lacrosse ball shot at your face at 100 miles an hour. It's True. a bit different than walking up 18 sure. where it's like, hey, I don't have to worry about getting <laughs> you know speared on the side here. But credit, to, I mean, Colorado scored with like 942 to go in the fourth quarter. Bandits didn't give up another one. They could have you know taken the breaks off. I think they scored the last four or five straight goals in in the fourth. And then it was kind of like, the rest of the playoffs besides game two and game one of the finals, it's kind of like rounds one and then both games in round two where the game was pretty much wrapped up in the fourth quarter where the final like nine minutes, the whole offense was just passing the ball, trying to kill the clock. That's kind of what it felt like. But I mean, the atmosphere, the, what bandit land was about. I mean, you can, I rewatched the game yesterday, not just to get the emotions out of it, but to kind of take notes of stuff that I missed while I was at the game. But for guys like, I mean, Dane Smith, Steve Priolo, Nick Weiss, the guys that were a part of those three finals losses already to finally get that one for Matt Vince to bring the title to Buffalo where he wanted to bring a title to this town. Guy like Kyle Buchanan, 35, plays like he's 25, finally getting his first title. Then other guys that also felt like the heartbreak at 19 and 22. It just... Tehoka Nanakoke, I mean, was in tears before the game because of saying how much it meant to him to bring a title to Buffalo. He's a ball boy for the team, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just felt, this team felt different this year as opposed to last year. Last year, the offense was just such a juggernaut. They breezed through the regular season, wasn't facing much adversity. This year was different. I mean, every forward except Dane Smith and Kyle Buchanan got hurt at some point. Kyle, Chris Coluccia missed like the majority of the season. They faced that. They battled one goal games. They had four overtime victories. It just felt like they finally had that mentality that just clicked that, okay, I don't care what happening. We had that one end goal. Steve Prilla was a monster on Saturday. He was not going to lose a fourth straight finals appearance ever. It just, it felt, it felt really good for bandit land. It felt really good for the city of Buffalo, but to not personally know these guys, but to see what they bring to the community and the high quality of character that these guys have, it just felt so much. I I felt so much joy for the actual players to finally get over that hurdle and finally 15 years, get that fifth title that they've been chasing. And I'll tell you what, man, you said it perfect. Plenty of room in bandit land. So everyone get on board. Also everyone get on board. Check out Buffalo Sports Collective. Just type that shit in Google. Go Google, type Buffalo Sports Collective. Options galore are where you can listen to the podcast. Of course, follow these guys on Twitter. Their podcast handle is at Buffalo Sports CO. Make sure you follow 
uh, PK on Twitter at PK underscore BSC. And again, I'll put all this stuff in the show notes as well. This was fun, man. G- good to get to know you at least a little bit. Some general takes here. And I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you more, getting to know. We'll dive into some some issues, do some fun segments. I like to get to know more stuff about you, have you on the show uh, more often. I think that people, uh, there's a lot of fans out there that don't know how good of a show you have until they listen to it. And I, I'm really confident that as more people start to to discover your podcast, they're really going to enjoy it. You and Phil do a, a really good job. So thanks very much, man, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you, buddy. Pat, I appreciate everything. I appreciate really the kind words. I think we said it on like our two-year anniversary. Even if one person listens or one person writes to us, whatever, it 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 means more than you know. So I, I really appreciate anybody even taking like two seconds out of their time to follow the channel or follow us on Facebook or YouTube or wherever. It just, it, it it's, it's a grind. They don't tell you how much work goes behind the scenes in a podcast. Oh, Talking yeah. behind the microphone is easy. Ninety-five percent of the other time is it's nonstop, but I really appreciate you having me on the show. I mean, I've loved this conversation for like an hour. It was awesome. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I will be back with another episode tomorrow. I got Aaron Quinn from Cover One, and then on Friday, um, former Buffalo Channel Seven anchor Ashley Rowe is going to be with me. Talk to you guys soon. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.